0: Hello, welcome to the legends of King Arthur and his knights. Chapter 6, Brothers in Arms With the help of Sir Balin the Savage and his brother Balan, King Arthur had finally defeated his enemies in Britain. Never again would he be challenged by his own people. We will find out what happened to the brother knights soon, but for now we must back up a little. We left Arthur and his knights at the funeral of King Lot of Orkney. More specifically, we left King Lot's eldest son vowing revenge on his father's killer. So, before returning to the funeral, let's take a little detour into the early life of Gawain of Orkney. Gawain was the son of King Lot and his wife Morgaws. Unfortunately, he had been born before Morgaws and Lot were married. The shame of this was too much for King Arthur's sister, and she was worried for her son's safety. She hid the baby until she had persuaded a loyal merchant to take him away to safety and bring him up. She also gave the merchant her signet ring and a letter which told of the boy's true identity. Tearfully she watched her first child being taken away. The man was indeed loyal, but he made a terrible mistake. One day, the merchant went to buy supplies from the city of Narbonne in Gaul. While he was out buying things, he left the baby unguarded on his ship. There, baby Goen was found by a fisherman, called Viamundus, who thought the ship, and therefore the baby, had been abandoned. Viamundus plundered the ship taking all the treasure, including the infant. In the baby's cradle, the fisherman found the letter and the signet ring. When Viamundus read the letter, he discovered that the infant was the son of a royal princess from Britain. Amazingly, the ship plunderer decided to carry out the wishes of Morgors and keep the identity of the baby secret. The boy became known as the Boy With No Name. Viamundus and his wife raised the boy with no name as if he was their own son. Seven years later, Viamundus travelled to Rome and offered his services to the emperor. It seems that he must have impressed the emperor because he became a friend of his. Viamundus also befriended the pope. The boy with no name became the emperor's page. Before long, though, Viamundus became very ill, and wishing to do the right thing, he told the emperor who the boy really was. Before long he was dead, but before he died, he handed over the letter and the ring to the emperor. The emperor promised to train the boy as a knight and then sent him to King Arthur's court when the time was right. The Emperor was as good as his word. Gawain was trained as a knight and had many adventures fighting against the enemies of Rome, despite still being very young. He proved himself to be a quite excellent warrior, one of the best in Rome. Eventually, when he was old enough, he was sent back to Britain, where he arrived in time to be present at the funeral of King Lot and swear revenge on the killer of his father. Given his unusual and special training, it was clear that Gawain was going to be a formidable enemy for King Pellinor and a great servant of King Arthur. After the funerals, Morgors returned to Orkney with little Gareth. Gawain, Agravaine, and Gaheris remained at the court of King Arthur. We will meet them again soon. After the funeral, King Arthur felt a little unwell, and went for a stroll in a forest to get some fresh air. As he was walking, he was passed by a miserable-looking knight on horseback. Arthur was wondering why the knight looked so glum when he was distracted by another figure walking towards him. The king smiled when he saw who it was. It was none other than Sir Balin. Balin the savage, said King Arthur, you have done me great service. You are now welcome in Camelot any time. One thing though, I am dying to know why that knight that just rode by was looking so miserable. Could you do me a favour? Would you catch up with him and then bring him to me? Balin rode off and quickly caught up with Sir Glum. With the sad knight was a woman. Balin asked the knight what was making him so unhappy. The knight was opening his mouth to answer when there was the sound of a horse's hooves. The sound got louder and louder. Balin, Sir Miserable and the lady looked up but there was no horse in sight. Louder and still louder was the sound of the galloping until it seemed that the horse was close enough to touch. And then, without warning, the glum knight fell to the ground. Balin rushed to his aid, but there was no saving him. Sticking out of his chest was a very sharp spear. The sad knight tried to speak, but it was clear he was dying. With his last breath he rasped these words at Sir Balin. I have been slain by Garlon the Invisible. Take my horse, which is better and faster than yours. Take the lady and follow my quest. That I will, said Balin, and watched as Sir Glum became Sir Dead. The knight was buried where he fell. Balin learned about the knight's quest and began to look as glum as the knight had. Before long, they met another knight, who rather unsurprisingly, asked Balin why he was looking so miserable. Balin refused to tell the knight. While they were arguing, they both heard the sound of a horse galloping towards them. Balin, pretty sure what was about to happen, looked for somewhere to hide, but he didn't have time to do so. In the blink of an eye, a spear appeared in the body of the other knight. Garlon the Invisible had struck again. With the help of a hermit, Balin buried the knight and then settled down to sleep. When he awoke, there was a strange message on the tomb, probably the work of Merlin. Written on it in large gold letters were the words, Sir Gawain shall revenge the death of his father, King Lot, on the king, Pelinor. Sir Balin and the lady rode on towards a castle. In the castle was a lady who had been sick for many years. This is what had made the first knight so miserable. The lady of the castle could only be cured if she drank a dish of the blood of a king's daughter. Every young woman who came near the castle was forced to give some blood, just in case she happened to be a princess. The young lady with Sir Balin agreed to be bled so the lady of the castle could see if her blood was good enough to cure her. Sadly, for the lady of the castle, the blood was not good enough and she remained ill. Sir Balin was upset that he'd not been able to help the lady but he decided to put his disappointment behind him and go on yet another quest. He vowed he would find Garlon the Invisible and kill him to avenge the deaths of the two knights. With this in mind he rode off, taking the young lady, minus a fair amount of blood, with him. After three or four days they rested for the night at the house of a rich gentleman who fed them a sumptuous meal. As they were eating they heard a moan. Balin asked who was moaning, as whoever it was seemed to be in great pain. That's my son, said the gentleman sadly. I was jousting with a knight a few days ago. I was winning. Twice I knocked him down. He begged for mercy and I let him up, but he swung his sword and wounded my son. Then, and you won't believe this, he mounted his horse and became invisible. I heard him ride off, but I couldn't see him. He's an enchanted knight. The wound he inflicted on my son will never heal until I get some of his blood. Balin nodded. The knight is called Sir Garlon, he said. The gentleman sat up excitedly. Sir Garlon, he said, I've heard his name. He is the brother of King Pelham of Listernois. King Pelham is holding a feast in twenty days' time, and his brother is sure to be there. It will take us that long to get there. We must leave first thing in the morning. After a long journey, the three arrived at the castle of King Pelham, but only two of them were let in. In order to be part of the great feast, a man had to be accompanied by a lady. Sir Balin and the young woman were allowed to sit down to eat, but the gentleman wasn't. Balin was ushered in and ordered to hand over his sword. The knight of the two swords, quite understandably, refused. After a little consultation among King Pelham's Pelham's servants, Balin was allowed to keep one of his swords with him. He sat down next to another knight. Is there a knight here known as Garlon? he asked his neighbour. Well, yes there is, replied the knight. Look over there and you will see a knight wearing a dark hood. His face is entirely hidden in blackness. He is the most marvellous knight and has killed many, many men. He is able to become invisible. Balin sat and thought for a few minutes. He had a big decision to make and he wasn't sure what to do. If he just stood up in the middle of a feast, walked over to Sir Sagala and killed him, then he was unlikely to get out of the castle alive. If, on the other hand, he played safe and left the killing for another time, then he might never catch up with Garlon and never avenge the two knights. Balin, never one to shirk from a challenge, went for option one. He stared over at Sir Garlon and planned when to make his move. But Balin didn't have to plan when to make his move, the move was made for him. Sir Garlon stood up and walked over to Sir Balin. He leant over the knight of two swords and slapped him across the face with the back of his hand. He then whispered menacingly, who do you think you're looking at? Do what you came here to do, eat your meat, drink your wine and mind your own business. Balin stood up. I will do what I came here to do, he said, but I did not come here to eat and drink. This is what I came to do. With that, Sir Balin stood up and drew his sword. Before Sir Garlon had any time to react, Balin had sliced off his head. In the confusion that followed, the gentleman with the wounded son rushed in and collected some of Sir Garlon's blood. Before anyone had noticed, he had mounted his horse and begun the twenty-day journey home. When he got there, he healed his son's wound. Sir Balin, on the other hand, was in a sticky situation. It is not normally a good idea to attend the feast given by a king, and then, while the festivities are in full swing, kill the king's brother. Sure enough, King Pelham was highly unamused. He stood up and raged. "'Knight, you have slain my brother. You will die!' King Pelham swung his sword towards Sir Balin's head. Balin was too quick for him and parried the blow with his own sword. Unfortunately, King Pelham's strike was so fierce that Balin's sword was cut in two. Balin ran into a nearby room looking for a weapon, but he couldn't find one. From room to room he ran, desperately searching for a sword, a spear or even a club. The castle seemed to be completely devoid of weapons. Eventually, Balin found himself in a very odd room. In it was a table made of pure gold with legs of pure silver. On top of the table lay a magnificent spear, which seemed to have a strange aura about it. Sir Balin didn't have time to wonder why the spear had a strange aura. All he was concerned about was saving his own life. He grabbed the spear just as King Pelham entered the room. He saw the look of horror on the king's face and thought it was just due to the fact that Balin was about to kill him. Without pausing to think any further, Sir Balin swung the spear about his head and struck Pelham's face. King Pelham, still alive, fell to the ground. As he fell, the walls of the castle began to shake. More and more violently they shook until the castle started to break apart. In a few seconds, the castle was nothing but boulders and rubble. King Pelham and Sir Balin were buried in the wreckage. For three days, Sir Balin lay buried in the rubble. After three days, he was rescued. Oh dear, Sir Balin, said Merlin, you have no idea what you have done. That spear was the spear used by the Roman soldier Longius to pierce the side of Jesus while he was on the cross. Also in the room was the Holy Grail and some of the blood of Jesus brought here by Joseph of Arimathea. King Pelham is a descendant of Joseph. All of the holy items are gone because of a single stroke of a spear. Pelham will lie here sorely wounded for twenty or more years until Sir Galahad, son of Lancelot of the Lake, "'heals him during the quest for the Holy Grail. "'Go now, Sir Balin. "'You and I will never meet again.' "'With that, he handed Balin the sword, "'which the knight had taken from the sheath back in Camelot. "'Sir Balin, shocked by the turn of events, "'rode through three kingdoms. "'Everywhere there was destruction and death. "'Many thousands were dead, "'and those that lived screamed at Sir Balin "'that revenge would be theirs. "'Merlin's prediction had come true. "'By striking King Pelham with the Holy Spear, Balin had caused the destruction of three realms. Balin rode on past the destroyed kingdoms and into happier lands. He was unsure of what to do next. After a few days he saw a castle in the distance and then came upon a cross on which was written, no knight alone should ride towards this castle. Not much later he met an old man who told him to turn around and ride away and then vanished. Balin Thinking he had caused so much trouble already, he didn't have much to lose, rode on. He heard a horn blow in the distance. That horn blows for me, he said quietly to himself. I am the prey. As he finished mumbling, Sir Balin the Savage saw a hundred ladies and many knights approaching. They took hold of him cheerfully and led him to the nearby castle. There was a big party with much eating, drinking and merriment, but Balin was not fooled. He knew something bad was going to happen to him. His fears were confirmed when the leading woman of the castle approached him. "'Knight of the Two Swords,' she said. "'You must fight with a knight close to here who lives on an island. "'No man may pass this way without meeting him and jousting with him. "'There is only one knight to defeat, and you, Balin the Savage, "'are among the best knights in the land. "'I'm sure you will have no trouble with one little knight.' "'I'm ready,' replied Balin softly. "'My body is weak and my horse is tired, but I will face this knight.' Many terrible things have happened, and I would not be unhappy to meet with death today. Sir, said one of the knights, your shield looks battered and worn. I have a bigger and better one. Why don't you go into battle with the knight using my shield? Thank you, sir, said Balin, and took the shield, even though he knew he probably shouldn't. Balin rode out of the castle and saw the knight approaching. He was dressed entirely in red with a red shield. His horse was also dressed entirely in red. Balin rode towards him holding his two swords, one of which was the one he had unwisely kept once he had pulled it from the sheath. He thought he saw the red knight pause for a moment, but it was only very brief. The two knights closed in on each other. Both knights charged. Each pointed their spear directly at the other, and each had only one thought in his mind, to knock the other from his horse. Each of the two spears hit the shield of the opposing knight with an almighty crash, Both shields withstood the impact, but both Sir Balin and the Red Knight were knocked from their horses. Sir Balin was badly hurt and bruised, but it was the Red Knight who got to his feet first. He drew his sword. Balin staggered to his feet and raised his shield. He was only just in time, as the sword of the Red Knight struck the shield with unbelievable force. Balin staggered backwards, shield just about intact. He recovered his senses quickly, though, and struck the Red Knight with a mighty blow on his helmet. On they fought until both were out of breath. Still they fought. Both knights were now very weary, and all their skill in dodging and parrying blows declined. Both knights received wounds as the swords struck their targets more and more often. Before long, both knights were sorely wounded. Their armour was in ruins, the ground around them was red with blood, and neither Sabalin nor the Red Knight was able to fight any more. Neither could lift his sword. Both tried, neither succeeded. "'Sir Balin, strength almost gone, managed to muster up a whisper. "'Who are you, Sir Knight?' he rasped. "'Never have I come across anyone who could fight like you have today. "'I've never been matched.' "'As he asked the question, the awful truth dawned on him. "'The reply was as inevitable as it was dreadful. "'I am Sir Balan, brother of the Knight of the Two Swords.' Balin wept. "'Never would I have wanted to see this day,' he cried. "'Balan understood.' He crawled over to his brother and removed his helmet. He hardly recognised the face which he uncovered. It was so covered in blood and bruises. For a moment, when I first saw the two thought swords, I thought it might be you, but the shield was not yours. I was tricked into taking this shield, and now we have slain each other, said Balin, his strength ebbing away. I was tricked too, whispered Sir Balan. I travelled this way a few days ago, and the people of the castle forced me to fight a knight who lived on this island. I beat him easily, but beating him caused a curse to be put on me. I would never be able to leave this place until I had defeated another knight sent my way by those in that accursed castle. Both Sir Balin and Sir Balan sobbed as their lives ebbed away. As they lay dying on the ground, the two brothers saw four knights and some men and women from the castle approaching. Bury us together here! begged Balin and on our tomb tell how we killed each other. As Sir Balin spoke his brother died. Balin died later that night. The women of the castle buried them and Merlin wrote a note on the tomb telling how they had been killed. After the brother knights were buried Merlin asked a knight of the castle to pick up the sword that Balin had obtained from the young woman who had come to King Arthur's court. The wizard fixed it in a new pommel and set it in a huge stone, which he magically made float on the water of a lake. As he did so, he spoke to the knight. This sword has been the cause of terrible grief, and it will be the cause of a lot more. With it, Sir Balin has killed the man he most loved, as prophesied. Many years from now, another knight, who will be known as Sir Lancelot of the Lake, will kill the man he most loves with the same sword. For a very long time, the sword floated around the island until it eventually found its way into a river and floated down to Camelot. There it was retrieved, many, many years later, by a young knight called Sir Galahad. Next week, there will be feasting and merriment as King Arthur gets married. Of course, not everything will go smoothly. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.